From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening. I hope you've had a fantastic week. I'm Jody Heiss, a senior advisor to the president here at the Family Research Council and your Friday host. It's an honor to be with you and thank you so much for entrusting this hour of your time to us. We've got a tremendous program. You're coming this uh, coming your way this evening. And let me give you the highlights of it. As you probably have heard by now, Title 42 ended last night. That has kicked off a new era, literally, on our southern border that even President Biden is admitting is going to be chaotic. But Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is asserting that everything's just fine. It's going to be challenging, but we have a plan. We've been executing on our plan. It will take time, but we have confidence that our plan will work. It has worked in the past. Friends, I just got to tell you, that is stunning to me. There is no plan. I have personally been to the border, every sector of it. It has been chaos, and now they're saying it's going to be even worse. But we'll be speaking with Congressman Matt Rosendale about this a little bit later in the program. He also joined a contingent of his House uh, uh, colleagues in uh, support for Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville and his stance for the sanctity of life. We'll talk to him about that as well. And you may have heard Congressman Pat Fallon on this program yesterday with Tony comparing the Biden family's pay-for-play scandal to Watergate. So why is the legacy media just yawning with all of this. It's amazing. But we'll be speaking with Congressman Tim Burchett, who will also give us the latest update on that congressional investigation. And speaking of the legacy media, well, there's still a lot of talk going on about CNN's town hall with uh, former President Donald Trump on Wednesday. But the focus, quite frankly, has been more on CNN and less about what President Trump actually said. Well, the former president's remarks on life cannot be lost. They were powerful, and I'll share why a little bit later in the program. And then lastly, we've already been reporting here on Washington Watch how J.P. Morgan Chase has canceled accounts of conservative and religious organizations. I don't know how many groups, but so far it's been dozens that I have personally talked to that have had a similar experience like this that are faith-based or faith-related organizations. And to me, this is terribly troubling. That was former ambassador for international religious freedom, Sam Brownback, sharing his experience with Chase Bank. Well, we now have one portfolio manager who plans to fight back and he will be joining us a little bit later in the program. So we've got some great things lined up for you today. And just a reminder, our website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can catch this episode or episodes from our archives. Now let's jump on to our first topic. You are aware by now that last night at midnight, Title 42 ended, and a surge of migrants are expected to come across the southern border Again, President Biden already telling us it's going to be chaotic for a while. Unlawful crossings have already exceeded 10,000 per day, uh, and border officials anticipate that those numbers are even going to swell even more in the coming days. Well, here to join me now to discuss this and more is U.S. Representative Matt Rosendale. 
He's a member of the House Freedom Caucus, also the Veterans Affairs Committee and the Committee on National Re Natural Resources. He represents the 2nd Congressional District of Montana. Congressman Rosendale, always great to see you. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Now, friend, we miss you dearly here in Congress. It's good to be with you, though. Well, likewise, my friends, good to see you and miss you as well. All right, listen, we've got an absolute, even the president admitting chaos on the so southern border. Uh, Secretary uh, Mayorkas has several interviews even this morning uh, pertaining to the end of Title 42. In fact, let me hit a couple of uh, uh, clips here real quickly on some Q&As, questions that uh, he had some interaction with, and get your reaction. Let's start with the Guthrie clip. You have had two years to prepare for this. Why is why do we have this chaos and confusion at the border? Savannah, the answer is uh, very, very clear. We are operating within the constraints of a broken immigration system. Wow. Okay, two years to prepare for this. I mean, all they've done, frankly, is dismantle this for the last two years. But give me your reaction overall. Jody, if you go back in time and you play the quote from Secretary Mayorkas from two years ago, he said at that time, we have a plan. Please allow us to, to carry our plan out. Um, and he has. And his plan has been to allow as many people into our country illegally as he possibly can under this administration. He repeated the exact same quote the other day. We have a plan. Just allow us to execute our plan. He is. They're allowing now an additional millions of people to come into the country. That is what this is all about. He has absolutely no intention of trying to even slow down the flow of humanity that's coming into our country. And it's, it's really unfortunate because there is a lot of suffering that is taking place for all of those people. You have been to the border. I've been to the border many times, both of us. And we have seen the suffering that takes place with all these folks as they travel uh, throughout the, the region to try and get into the United States. They've got, what is it, I think up to 85,000 children now that are unaccounted for that have been released into the country. Where, where, where are they located? Where have they been sent? What kind of conditions are they living in? Had they been sold into slavery? There are so many terrible things that are happening to people that are coming up into this country. And that's before we even start having discussions about what is the true cost to the United States. I've heard estimates as much as $150 billion a year in order for us to house, uh, medicate, and educate all of the illegals that are coming in. Because as they claim asylum status and they are given a hearing date, sometimes seven and eight years out from, from when they cross into the country, they're here on parole status until that time, which means they're allowed to roam around the country. However, as, as illegal immigrants and parole status, they're not allowed to work legally. So that means they become dependent upon our entire system. So we are creating a, a permanent underclass, and, and this is not humane. And, and the way that these folks are treated on the way traveling here is not humane. And, and we haven't even begun the discussion about how the cartels have been enriched to the tune of billions and billions of dollars as they are conducting all this human trafficking that's taking place right now. And then there's it's, fentanyl. Yeah, and then there's fentanyl. And, I mean, you just go on and on. So many great points you bring up, Congressman. And it, you know, it's all part of the plan. He says, 
It's, it's just insanity. Real quickly, I want to hit on a couple of other topics with you, but could all of this been, have been avoided? Oh, absolutely, it could have been. And what you're seeing now is, is the uh, actual policies that would keep this from taking place that were uh, initiated under the Trump administration when we saw that that tide of humanity slowed to a, to a little trickle. It was policies, not money being thrown at the border, but it was policies. The uh, Remain in Mexico policy, which I tried to get into statute two years ago and introduced a bill to do just that, which says, okay, if you come to the American border and you're going to claim asylum status, you can make that claim, but you're not released into the United States until you await your hearing date to find out if you're eligible. You wait in Mexico until that hearing date. And just by that one simple thing alone, Jody, we were able to have 75% of the people who claimed asylum status return to their country of origin. And and, and so things like that, which were contained wow. in HR2. So we, we passed an immigration and southern border uh, uh, bill, H.R. 2, just yesterday. It's going to the Senate. And now we're going to find out how many people are truly interested in securing the United States sovereignty. Absolutely. Well, we're going to be keeping a pulse on that as it works its way through the Senate and see what happens. But um, it's just absolutely stunning. As you mentioned, we've both seen it firsthand uh, on the border. If I can switch gears with you, Congressman, you joined a, a contingent of some of your fellow House colleagues over to go over to the Senate floor this week to show your support for Senator Tuberville and the incredible job he's doing uh, to stop the military's illegal abortion policy. Uh, Matt, why, why do you think it's so important now, as you and others have done, to show support to the coach uh, that we have his back right now? Look, the sanctity of life is the most important thing for us to fight for up here, Jody. Uh, you and I have sat together for many hours there on the floor. We know the sanctity of life is the most important thing that, that we can fight for. And so there was a group of about 10 that once we heard that Senator Tuberville um, was, was uh, putting a hold on the Department of uh, Defense nominations until that they would uh, agree to remove these policy of, policies of paying for abortions that that we were going to be there to 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 back him up so that he knew that he was not the only one in the room to, uh, to support that effort and and we filed in and sat in there as he gave his uh, speech to defend the sanctity of life and by golly there's uh there's plenty of us that are there with him well i just want to say thank you uh and the others i believe there are 10 or 11 of you and all who went over there. I want to thank all of you for showing support. And I want to encourage our viewers and listeners right now to do the same, to pray for Senator Tuberville and to support him. Let him know this is a thankless job. It's a thankless position. And sometimes when the arrows, and right now he has a lot of arrows coming at him. And that's why it just doubly means so much to me and so many others that, that you and others took time to go support him. And so thank you very much. One last topic before we go that I'd like to hit on, uh, and that is, of course, the budget. Everyone's uh, talking, looking about this. President Biden and Speaker McCarthy were supposed to have had a meeting today, but it was postponed to who knows when. Uh, in the meantime, staffers on both sides are uh, evidently talking behind the scenes, hopefully making some sort of progress. Uh, but the, the White House says that they're discussing the budget only, and they are not going to go down the path of 
debt ceiling negotiations. Uh, how do you interpret this? Where are we on this? Oh, it's unfortunate. Uh, the House of Representatives did our job, and we sent a package over to the Senate to increase the debt ceiling. But we are not going to conduct business as usual. The American people did not send us up here to conduct business as usual. We are not kicking the can down the road any longer, Jody. And so we put together a four-part uh, plan and sent it over to the Senate. Uh, part one, free spending at 22 levels. Personally, I would like to have us free spending at 2019 levels. I think we had plenty of government in 2019. But as, as part of the negotiations, we landed on 22. The next thing was to claw back a bunch of the unspent money that this administration has recklessly tried to put into the economy. So we clawed back money that from COVID relief, so-called COVID relief that wasn't spent. We clawed back money for the funding for 87,000 IRS agents that I don't think anybody thinks that we need. We clawed back money from New Green Deal uh, plans that were doing nothing more than filling the pockets of, of industries that were handpicked by the president. We've got about 15 seconds, often, Congressman. Well, back $400 billion from our student loan redistribution program. We put that in the bucket. We raised the debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion on March 31st. It's time That's for awesome. the Senate and the president. Uh, let me, uh, yes or no, are Republicans going to stay uh, united as the pressure heats up? I think they will. Yes. Great. Congressman Matt Rosendale, always great to see you. Thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. Happy Mother's Watch. Day to all your viewers. Thank you, and you as well. Have a great weekend. All right, friends, coming up, the FBI has refused to comply with congressional subpoena documents about potential crime in the Biden family. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org.
Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. An honor to have you joining us on this Friday. And one of the biggest news items in the week we're going to cover right now. It's day three since the shocking allegations coming from the House Oversight and Accountability Committee regarding the Biden family's financial ties to foreign actors that likely stem from influence peddling for their own benefit. The Oversight Committee's probe details more than $10 million in payment to the Biden family and associates, as well as efforts that were made to conceal the sources of all that cash. And it's coming as no surprise that the FBI now is refusing to comply with a congressional subpoena. There are checks and balances, and there is oversight. Congress has a right to have uh, that knowledge, and I will have a conversation with uh, Director Ray about that and make sure that happens. That, of course, was House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, and it appears Republicans are not going to give up on this issue. They're not going to give up. But the question is, where does the investigation go from here? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Tim Burchett. He serves on three committees, including the Oversight and Accountability Committee and the Committee on Foreign Affairs. He represents the 2nd Congressional District of Tennessee. Congressman Burchett, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Great. Great having me. Great, great to see you. I guess it's great. I don't know if it's great having me or not. Sorry. It's great having you. Trust me, my friend. Good to have you. All right. Listen, these are serious allegations that are coming out of the Oversight Committee. Tell us the latest. Well, you know Chairman Comer probably better than anybody, and he's a very serious man. You know, as you stated in your monologue, there's, there's over $10 million in funds that have flowed into the at least nine members of the of the Biden family, they received money directly from um, Chinese-controlled entities into their accounts. They received a million dollars alone from a company controlled by some a Romanian in, individual who is accused of corruption, and that was funneled through a Biden family associate to conceal the payment. You know, I don't know which is more infuriating that we've outlined this ten million dollars that we know of so far, and and I can assure you there is a lot more. Um, the, the, I don't know what's more infuriating, that or the fact that the FBI and the Justice Department has kind of turned a blind eye to this thing. You know, George Santos has been in Congress for, what, four or five months, and they've already got him indicted on 13 or 14 charges, federal charges, and this has been going on for years. 
and we can't even get them to look at it. And we're talking about $10 million. And the thing that you got to worry about is what about our national security? Is this, is it being threatened by this? You wonder why we didn't shoot down a Chinese balloon. We let it transverse the entire country. And then, um, you know, and you're kind of trying to figure out what did, what did Hunter Biden, uh, uh, what did these foreign countries get for this uh, so-called investment in Hunter Biden? And, uh, you know, and what did they expect in return? So we've got a lot of questions to ask. And, um, you know, and with the Justice Department hiding on this thing, it's, it's, it's pretty clear that the cover-up will continue. Yeah, and that's that's part of the the disturbing uh, portion. I mean, we continue it seems week after week after week to watch this two-tiered system of justice unfold before our very eyes as you just mentioned between the difference between Santos right now and what's happening to the Bidens and you know, and I'm not going to get into Santos right or wrong, but the fact is they they're dealing with one and ignoring the other. What about all this I, I was listening to Chairman Comer uh, discuss how these monies came in and they were moved around in what appears to be shell organizations, payments moved moving around, very difficult to follow and transact. But at the end of the day, there were no services provided, just money being moved around that ends up in the Biden's back pockets. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, there's tw over 20 companies that were look like they're just created to hide this stuff. Um, and, and as complicated as it is, it's, it's from what from people I've talked to that that investigate these type of things in the past and have investigated them successfully is that the um, that shows a lot of arrogance because they left a lot of things um, unhidden. It, whereas uh, the pre the vice president and he was the vice president at the time would say visit China or visit a country and take his son with him. And there was meetings organized with these corporations over there. And then you would see a ban uh, Biden family associate receive a large, a large check. And then it would be disseminated among the, the amount that, that he received would be disseminated in, in equal parts among the Biden family and their associates. And you could basically um, chase the money right back. I made this statement on on um on another station that I said during um mon mon money laundering school at mob camp they must have been um, asleep because they were very careless and I think it shows a deal of arrogance with them too knowing that our federal authorities will not investigate them so it's um it's very frustrating but what do we do we cut off their funds we tell the FBI you know, Congress is the checkbook let's play hardball let's 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 deal in realities. And I think that's what well, we I need think, to do. Yeah, I think that's exactly what needs to happen. And it appears to me, at least from all these different shell corporations involved moving money around that the, the whole effort there was to conceal the source. Uh, do you agree with that? 100 percent, 100 percent. That's the only reason to do that. And um, and they did it. And, and we so know they did it. And Go ahead, finish finish up. No, no, I was just going to say we know they did it, and now we're trying to figure out exactly what they got in return for it. Okay, we've only got a little over a minute left here, and I know you, you're you on a tight schedule, uh, but we, we have the subpoena for the FBI, for, to the FBI for the, the uh, documents. They're pushing back on that, not uh, uh, giving it. What's next for this investigation? Where does it go from here when the FBI is not complying and there's still work to be done? 
I think we draw up legislation and force their hand and, in fact, start cutting some of their funding off. That's what we'll have to do. Well, do you think the FBI will eventually come around? I mean, are they going to are they required to uh, respond to the subpoena? Well, they yeah, they actually are. I mean, they are the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And currently, they're the uh, Federal Bureau of Cheerleading of Criminal Activity. And I think it starts at the top. I think they need to clean house is what I really do. I think it's going to end up having to happen because so much is going to be disclosed um, that was covered up in all this. And then you get back to the laptop story where um, it's close to 50 intelligence folks basically said it did not happen. It was Russian intelligence. It just shows how deep this goes. Congressman, we're going to have to leave it there. I'm sorry. We're out of time. Congressman Tim Burchett, thank you so much. Coming up, we've got a lot about the pro-life movement. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, your Friday host, and hoping you're having a great, great Friday. All right, friends, we've got a major issue here that I want to unfold for you. There's still a lot of attention being given to CNN's town hall event with former President Donald Trump on Wednesday night. And I want to unfold some of the behind-the-scenes things that are taking place. Here, uh, those of us here at the Family Research Council, we obviously have given particular attention to his comments on the life issue. But have you noticed that all the attention from the town hall is now about CNN? Look, the purpose of a town hall is to inform Americans 
about the position of a candidate. The purpose of a town hall is not to uh, discuss the network. They ought to be totally out of the picture. The purpose of the town hall was for you, is for me, is for America to see where the former president stands on different issues. But ever since the town hall took place, the only discussion in town is pertaining to CNN. Well, I'd like to share with you some of my thoughts on this, and because the real issue, it's almost as though a smokescreen is going up to where the discussion now is about CNN rather than what the president said, because what he said about life is crucial. It's crucial for you and me to grasp. It's crucial for the Republican Party, and it is crucial for members of Congress. On the appearance Wednesday evening at the town hall with CNN, literally the former president, President Trump, laid out the playbook for the pro-life movement. He went on the offense. He celebrated Dobbs. He was not on the defense whatsoever. Look at this. Now, for the first time, the people that are pro-life have negotiating uh, capability because you didn't have it before. They could kill the baby in the ninth month or after the baby was born. Now they won't be able but to I do think this that. Is a well, listen, he's laying this out. He's going on the offense. He's going on the offense with it. And by the way, when he's talking about negotiating power, he's talking about us coming to a consensus. A, a federal national consensus is kind of like the minimum standard that we are going to protect life. But that was the whole issue that President Trump was bringing forth, that the whole argument is not about being anti-abortion. The issue is about protecting life. And what is in the womb is a live baby. For goodness sakes, it's six weeks the baby has eyes and nose and ears and mouth and heartbeat and arms and legs are developing. This is a baby in the womb. And the president's message was we are protecting life and that there is a federal role in that. This is not something just to be left to the states. And this is critically important. It's a critically important issue because I can tell you, as a former member of Congress, when this decision came out, we were told that this issue is now an issue to be left to the states. It's not a federal issue any longer. Nothing could be further from the truth. Folks, this is still a federal issue as well as a state issue. And Trump uh, went on to highlight just how extreme the Democrats are on this issue. Abortion on demand until the day of birth at taxpayer expense? Look at this clip. I think it's very important to say this. I consider the other side to be radical because the other side under Roe v. Wade and other things, the other side, they're radical because they will remember the debate with Hillary Clinton. They said, rip the baby out of the womb at the end of the ninth month. They will kill the baby in the ninth month. Well, I, listen, some of you may not actually remember uh, that statement that he had on uh, in 2016 with Hillary. In fact, we've got this. Uh, uh, guys, if y'all can play that clip, uh, I believe it's clip seven, real quickly. Well, I think it's terrible. Uh, if you go with what Hillary is saying, in the ninth month, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb of the mother just prior to the birth of the baby. Now, you can say that that's okay, 
And Hillary can say that that's okay, but it's not okay with me. Because based on what she's saying and based on where she's going and where she's been, you can take the baby and baby out of the womb in the ninth month on the final day. And that's not acceptable. Folks, that is not acceptable. And let me just remind you, the Trump administration was the most pro-life administration in our history. And the message, the clip that you just saw from 2016 in the debate with Hillary Clinton is the exact same message that he gave <clears throat> at CNN this past week. And I'm convinced it's for that reason that CNN and the other mainstream media are making this all about CNN rather than what the president is saying, that it is the Democrats who are radical in this, not pro-life people. The radical position is to kill babies up to the moment of death. Now, look, this is so critically important, not only for you to understand, but for our pro-life movement to understand and for members of Congress to understand this is the message, this is the winning message, and members of Congress have a role on the federal level of getting this right. And not only is this something for Congress, but the RNC has gotten this message as well. In fact, the Republican National Committee Chair, Ronna McDaniels, has been very outspoken on this and has embraced the pro-life messaging going into this 2024 election. In fact, we have a petition to thank her for what she's done, and I encourage you to join this petition. You can simply text RNC to 67742, or you can visit frcaction.org slash for life. Again, that's RNC, text it to 67742. Folks, thank you for bearing with me for a few moments on this issue. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just a moment with some more important news attacking. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org. Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND. 
and to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom, and you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. You're tuned in to Washington Watch. Welcome to this Friday edition. I'm Jody Heiss, your host on this Friday. And just a reminder before we get into this last segment, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which has partnered with law enforcement agencies like the FBI, U.S. Department of Defense, and so forth, they actually had a staff lawyer that was involved in an anti-law enforcement riot. You probably remember that. Well, we're calling on the House Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government to investigate the SBLC's ties to the uh, Biden administration and to federal agencies. Uh, Quite frankly, it's time to expose the SBLC as the dangerous, radical left-wing group that it is. So we are asking you to join us and sign a petition that will help push this movement forward. You can simply text SPLC, SPLC to 67742 and sign the petition. All right. There have been uh, very few sectors of life that simply have not been poisoned by the current cancel culture. And sadly, the banking industry is no different. Uh, Conservatives and religious groups have seen their bank accounts shuttered. They've seen them shut down. Well, thankfully, we now have someone who's attempting to roll back this tide of cancel culture within the banking industry. And as a result, at next week's J.P. Morgan Chase shareholder meeting, portfolio manager is going to introduce a shareholder resolution regarding the company's targeting of organizations because of their conservative and religious viewpoints. And joining me to discuss this is the one introducing that resolution himself, David Bonson. He is the founder and chief investment officer of the Bonson Group. David, welcome to Washington Watch. It's an honor to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Well, listen, to kind of set this whole conversation up, I want to play a clip from FRC's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit from last year when uh, the former ambassador for international religious freedom, Sam Brownback, shared his personal experience with the cancel culture and Chase Bank. Listen to this. 
We have money in the bank account, and we were fired by our bank as their customer. Why? What did we do? Well, we won't tell you. The decision was made at corporate level. And then after pushing them for a while, they said, well, if you will disclose who you're going to back and what your criteria are for candidates you're back, then we will consider reestablishing your account. And we said, okay, that's what's happening in America today. Wow, that's uh, that's incredible to me. So it appears this is not just a one-hit scenario. This type of thing is occurring with more frequency, correct? It sure appears that way. I happen to think that there's a very good chance it isn't coming from the very top, from Park Avenue, if you will, where their C-suite is located. I think it's very possible that they just have a total breakdown of controls down to a regional level. And the company is so large and complex that they've lost the ability to regulate if there's political and religious discrimination like this taking place. And that's the thing that's very important about my resolution is I did not come to them and say, we want you to admit you're doing it. And I did not come and say, we want you to start discriminating against other religions or discriminating against the left. Well, all I said is we'd like you to run an investigation internally and report back to us, the shareholders, the owners of the business, as to whether or not you found that this is happening. And if it isn't, then great. Everyone's going to be really happy to know it's not. And if you find out that it is, we can start to remedy it. And so I think that their opposition to me putting that on the docket is really what created this hubbub and forced the SEC to get involved and say, no, J.P. Morgan, you will hear out this resolution. Wow. Well, listen, first of all, thank you for having the the internal strength to put this resolution forward and to be moving in that direction. I want to get more specifically to the resolution momentarily. But before we, we get there, let's just kind of keep the backdrop of this unfolding for our viewers and listening audience. What uh, Kind of what started your personal mission uh, to hold J.P. Morgan Chase accountable for its what appears to be uh, politically motivated debanking? I mean, is that a fair assessment, uh, the way you understand it? I think uh, politically and religiously motivated debanking. And so what motivated me was very simple. People came to me and said, David, you're a large shareholder at J.P. Morgan And on behalf of clients, you uh, advise on an even larger amount. I think our company's position is over $100 million. They said, don't you know what they just did, uh, Governor Brownback? And have you heard about these other groups, three or four, you know, reasonably good profile organizations? And I said, no. And I go, to be honest with you, I don't really believe it. I said, I know Jamie Dimon to be a pretty pragmatic guy. He's the CEO of J.P. Morgan. He's been a very effective CEO. He's pushed back on AOC and some of the far left on some of these ESG things. So I gave them the benefit of the doubt. I said they wouldn't do something that would cut them off from profits. I looked at it deeper, and I became convinced that something was happening. And so if senior management doesn't know about it, and if they're not directing it, that's even worse. That, that means that they have no control over what's happening at some of the regional offices or local branches. And so it really fired me up to exercise my rights as a shareholder. It's a big frustration I have with, with Christians that believe sometimes that what we need to do is, is retreat. When there's companies doing bad things, we need to say, oh, I don't want to own that stock. I don't want to buy that product. 
for me as an owner of the business, I want to fight harder. I want to engage with management and say, this isn't what you're supposed to be doing. Absolutely, because you have skin in the game and because of your relationship with the CEO, I think quite frankly, that gives you tremendous credibility in moving forward with this. I think probably most people, myself included, have never been to a shareholders meeting like this. Uh, so what happens? Just real briefly, I don't want to get in the weeds with this, but just kind of a 30,000 real quick view. What happens at a shareholders meeting? Well, um, in the months up until a shareholders meeting, shareholders have a right to present uh, agenda items, just like the one I did that they declined and then the SEC made them add. So my item is item number 10 for consideration in their shareholder meeting Tuesday, May the 16th. Some of the other items, and in fact, most of them are from far left. There's people, Sierra Club has an initiative saying they're not being ESG enough or DEI enough. You know, there's really, um, the left has learned how to play this game. What I say in my comments that will be played by video at the shareholder meeting is I'm not looking to do the opposite of the left. They want to force an ESG and, and diversity, equity, inclusion agenda, BLM, all these kinds of things down the throat of corporate management. I'm not asking them to take on my agenda. I'm asking them to get religion and politics out of banking and to just act like a good business in the best interest of their shareholders, where if you look at these other shareholder items, they're really quite agendized and most of them very left wing. Well, I mean, it just sounds as reasonable as it can be, your request. I, I do want to get into your resolution, but just before that, just one other que uh, question pops in my mind. Is this something that's kind of unique to J.P. Morgan Chase, or is this politically motivated, religiously motivated debanking happening at other banks as well? Um, I don't think that we see a lot of debanking at other banks that is at the profile of this level. And because of me being a shareholder at J.P. Morgan, I was more motivated to deal with it. If it were happening at Citi or Bank of America, then I'd have to find Citi shareholders or Bank of America shareholders to deal with it. I don't doubt that it probably goes on there. But again, I'm operating here as a shareholder, right? Concerned with the investment of myself, the investment of my clients, where I didn't want to go take a position in city and say, hey, now I'm a shareholder and I want to talk to you about this bad stuff you're doing. I've been a shareholder of JP Morgan for 15 years. So I have every fiduciary right to pursue this. So I think there's a difference in that agenda. I'm honestly not being an activist. I'm being an engaged investor. I think there's a difference. There is a huge difference. So let's uh, let that segue us back into your uh, shareholder resolution itself. Uh, now, you're going to be 10th in order to present this. You are <clears throat> presenting it in such a way uh, that I would think people would find to be an extremely reasonable uh, request as an investor and shareholder in the, in the, the uh, business. What are you expecting uh, do you have any feel for where this is going to go, whether it'll be accepted or not, or uh, what, what's going to happen? Oh, no, I don't think it's going to end up passing, but I, there is a really uh, optimistic conclusion I'll offer you. But I think that um, the institutional ownership of a company as large as J.P. Morgan that have mostly proxied away their votes, and so there's sort of a proxy vote service called ISS, um, and there, there's another, there's two major ones that most institutional investors 
will delegate their votes to. And these two just side with the board almost all the time. And the board has said, please vote no on this. So I don't think we'll end up having the votes to sort of David their Goliath in this case. But I actually think that we already won in the sense of this got an incredible amount of attention. And now their guard is up. There is no way they can debank a Christian or political conservative in the months ahead. There is such a magnifying glass on this. My op-ed was published in the Wall Street Journal. There's been a significant amount of media attention. Uh, shareholders are fired up. And so even if it doesn't get 50.1% of the vote, it's definitely gotten the attention of Park Avenue. And that's one of the things that their investors relations executives said to me is, David, we're, we're with you. We don't want to do this. We're just telling you we're not doing it. And I'm saying all my initiative is asking for is proof that you're not doing it. Let's confirm. But one way or the other, I think that they are now aware of something that I genuinely believe they weren't aware of before. And that is that there are people like us out there, that there are Christians, that there are conservatives that are willing to engage. They're so used to getting harassed by radical environmentalists that they didn't know that there are conservatives that want to engage in this marketplace. Well, and as we all know, the squeaky uh, the the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And as a member of Congress, I know uh, several left leaning uh, members who are constantly uh, protesting and urging big corporations to cancel uh, conservative organizations, conservative voices, or uh, whatever it may be. And when there is the barrage of that messaging. I was, it would not surprise me at all that they don't comply at some point and actually do so. And you're you're bringing that to light. And just the fact, as you said, that you have done this, I think is potentially going to move the needle uh, in an amazing way. How would you encourage others to stand up against perhaps some other financial institutions that they suspect may be involved in the same kind of thing? What's the process that they need to go to, to make a difference? Well, I think that if one encounters a financial institution, one of the big examples, by the way, and this could affect Family Research Council, are some of these donor-advised funds or charitable funds that uh, are, because of Southern Poverty Law Center and extreme left radical groups, highly discriminatory against people of traditional faith, they're blocking donations. People need to report those things. Alliance Defending Freedom, there are other organizations that want to hear about it because they then have an infrastructure to deal with it. There's people like me that will spend money going to law firms, going to individual companies that are abusing these things, and we'll fight it on your behalf. And so if you're running into that abuse with a donor-advised fund, with a charitable fund, at a bank, then you do have recourse. But really, financial institutions are not ground zero for this. They're the most troubling in the sense of we can't believe that maybe a PayPal could block us from paying our babysitter because they don't like where we go to church or something like that. That scares us with financial transactions for really good reason. But where it happens all the time that we know about, and they don't even apologize, they don't even deny it, is elsewhere in woke corporate America. The banks are still pretending to be neutral. That's a good thing. Now, I don't think they are neutral, but at least they're pretending. Other companies are just flat out admitting that they have no regard for people of faith or people of a different political belief system. Yeah, you're, you're right. And I know we had some instances of that just within my own district 
uh, as a member where people find, uh, experiencing that type of thing. So let's take this down one step lower to the individual or the business that finds themselves debanked. Uh, what do you encourage them to do? This is not, I'm not talking a shareholder. I'm talking a business or an individual. What should they do? Yeah, that's a great question because shareholders have that ability to take recourse like I did. A customer can feel like they have nowhere to go. One thing I really want to say is make sure that you're being debanked because they're being unfair to you, not because you forgot some paperwork or you're not providing documentation. We don't want any false alarms, right? We don't want to go uh, be the boy who cried wolf, if you will. And I, and I worry about that because I think it's incumbent upon us to, to keep our side of the street clean, do what we're supposed to do. And then if there is real debanking and discrimination, it's going to give us the moral authority to do something about it and not have it kind of embarrass us later that really it was something else. But then as far as who people notify, I mentioned Alliance Defending Freedom. There's a whole host, of course, of, uh, of different constitutional law groups, religious freedom groups, and, and people may have a relationship with one local to them. I wouldn't want to give a commercial for just one right now because we both know Family Research Council is a great vehicle for some of these causes. Get that information to people, and then from there, it will get channeled. It will get processed, and there are people who can go apply it and, and kind of put it in the queue, if you will, for activity. And I'll be one of those people. I'll fight this good fight as long as I have to. I'm not going to uh, put up with it for long. It, it needs to change. David Bonson, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch, and thank you for leader, your leadership on this incredibly important matter. Thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. God bless. God bless you as well, and thanks to each of you for joining us on this edition of Washington Watch. Have a fantastic weekend. Happy Mother's Day. We'll see you next week. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.